right? So we invite you to come out, 6 o'clock. Uh, you can come hang out for a couple hours and we'd to do that. Well, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on sharing who he is. We've been sharing it over the last couple, about the last month. But if you could stand to your feet and welcome our guest, Pastor, and he'll come in and he'll be able to just blow you away, excited about what he's going to do. God bless you guys. Thank you so much. Let's give it up for our worship uh, team. Didn't they do a great job? Wow. Brought us into God's throne room, man. Let's give it up for our pastor. Don't you love our pastor? And Pastor Vic, such an honor to be here and have heard so many great things about Pastor Vic and your church, and man, what an honor to be here. Like he was saying, my name is Doug Reed, and I head up a ministry called Partnership Ministries, and essentially what I do is I speak in conferences and churches around the country, and then I also uh, uh, have four of what I call partner churches. Uh, I'm essentially the teaching pastor at four large churches, even though I don't live in all of those communities. So my first First 20 Sundays of the year go to those churches, and then uh, about 20 Sundays a year, I'm in churches like yours and New Spots. And then my last 10, I head up a ministry, our international arm, uh, called Partnership International. And in the last uh, 18 years, we've taken about 8,000 people on missions trips uh, to some of the world's poorest places. Here's what I believe, Proverbs 31.8. It says that you should speak for those that cannot speak for themselves and ensure justice for those that are being crushed. I believe that if God gives you a voice, you need to speak for those that don't have a voice. Amen? God gives you influence. You need to take some of that influence at least and use it for those that don't have influence. So that's that's what we try to do. And to give you an idea, it's grown to something incredible. In 2019, the last normal year, I mean, I don't even know what normal is anymore. I don't know about you, but the last normal year, we were able to take 19 missions teams, about 320 people, and uh, we did about a half a million dollars in building projects. Uh, I was in the first service. Uh, yeah, give the Lord a hand clap. Uh, in the first service, I was, I was kind of warning Pastor Vic, and I'm like, you know, if we become friends, we might end up in some weird place in the world together, but then I got to know him a little bit, and I think he might like that, so, so we, uh, he's got a heart for the poor just like I do, and, and man, we'd love to work with you guys in that. Well, I'm going to jump right in. Is that all right? We're going to jump right into the Word today. I want to share with you a message called The Road Back Home, and we're going to talk about how to come back to the place that you never should have left. Well, I grew up in the 1980s. Is there anybody else that grew up in the 80s like I did? And I, I just mentioned like, I don't know if you should clap, but I, I, would just, I would just mention like two things about the 80s. One is the fashion of the 80s. If we're all blessed, it will never come back. Uh, I had it all going on. I'm telling you, Calvin, I had the parachute pants. I had the Michael Jackson jacket. Sometimes I, I wore one glove because I thought it was cool. I should have kept it. It's like $2,000 on eBay now, those things. But uh, I had a mullet and I permed the back. I, I don't have, man, the ladies like that, I'm telling you. But I, I, I don't have the hair for that right now. But so the fashion of the 80s was something, but also we were technologically deficient as compared to today. Uh, nobody had a cell phone except Zach on Saved by the Bell. That was it. And, and uh, I don't even know what he was doing with the size of a shoe, but, but I could have ruled the world with this device in the 80s, right? In fact, for the young people, you probably won't recognize this, but uh, 
in most of our homes, we only had one phone. And on that phone was something called a cord. You might want to Google that later, but if, like if you were in like a really wealthy house, you, you would have one of those bungee cord styles, but that's not the way it was in my house. Let me just draw you a picture. In my house, we had one phone. And it sat in the dining room, which was right next to the living room. And my dad was too cheap to buy one of the long cords. So we had a three-footer, and you could stretch it out to about six, and that was about it. So let me draw you out a little scene. It's 1980-something, and I am 16 years old, and I am deeply in love. How I many you know nobody can love like a 16-year-old kid, right? And so I'm sitting in the living room with my mom, my dad, my grandma, my grandpa, my brother, and my sister, and we're watching watching TV. And in the 80s, if you were the youngest in the family, you are the remote control, right? I, I was the remote control. And, and we're watching TV and, and the phone rings and my mom answers it and she says, it's your girlfriend. And my whole family starts laughing. So I get on the phone and I'm trying to work it a little bit, but I can't get away from my family because of the cord. And the girl breaks up with me over the phone. I'm talking like... I hate you, don't want to see you anymore. And she missed it, right? She's feeling bad now, but but she missed it. But but she breaks up with me, and I am trying to work this out. And Pastor Vic, if I'm lying, I'm dying. This really happened. My mom walked over, turned off the TV, and my entire family turns towards me. Because what is happening in the dining room is like way more exciting than what's happening on the TV. And and they're yelling out advice, and I'm, I'm crying, and it goes on for like a half hour, and it's just not working. And so finally, I hang up the phone, and I grab my car keys, and I'm going to get in my Chevy Nova, baby, and I'm going to drive over to this girl's house, and I'm going to work it out. And, and my dad steps in the way. I love this sermon because he tells stories about my dad. And my dad steps in the way and he said, son, the last thing you need to do is go to that girl's house. And now I normally wouldn't do this dangerous move, but I was messed up. I shoved my dad out of the way and I walked out the front door, slammed the door. About a block away from my house is this graveyard. It's got a six foot fence. And I was not the hunk of man I am before you this morning, but I, uh, I was super skinny, really in shape. And I, I hopped that six foot fence and I'm just going to jog the five miles over to this girl's house. And I get probably 100 yards into the graveyard, and I hear some clanking behind me, and I look back, and it's my dad. He is coming after me. Now, at this point in his life, he's about 25 years older than me. He's about 40 pounds overweight, and he barely makes it over the fence. And my thought is, man, you'll never catch me. So I go into like a medium run, and then I look back, and my dad, man, he is trucking. I, I, I don't even know where it's coming from, man, but he is so fast, and there's like grass flying up behind him. I, what is going on? And, and so I turn around, I go into a full-aught run, and and then I make one last mistake. I look back one more time, and sure enough, after like 100 yards, my dad is losing it, and you can see it on his face. And, but there also was that determination, and, and you could tell he was going to do his best. And, and I don't know, I just couldn't take it, and I stopped, and I leaned up against a tree, and I let my dad catch up to me, and he was too smart to say anything. He just wrapped his arm around me, and he walked me back home, back to the place that I never should have left to begin with. 
aren't we glad today that we have a heavenly father that will walk us back home, amen? That's what I want to talk to you about. I want to take you to a story in the Bible of a young man that ran away from home. Now, let me say today, if you came into church and you're like, you know, Pastor Doug, I don't know, I got on the wrong bus, or this, is, this seems like the kind of church that might kidnap you and take you to church, you know, and, and you're like, I, I don't even know if I can spell Jesus. Can I tell you, you're going to hear about something called grace today, and it is the greatest thing in the universe, amen, the grace and the love of our God. Can we also welcome our online audience today? Come on, everybody give it up for the online audience. Man, we are so glad you guys are watching. I don't know where to look. Uh, you, we're so glad you guys are watching. And, you know, put on some pants and turn up that screen. You know, this is for you, to, you as well, all right? Luke chapter 15, verse number 11. Here it is. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. Everybody say, two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me a share of my estate. And so he divided the property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, and he set off for a distant country where he squandered his wealth in wild living. But after he had spent everything, isn't it interesting because everybody loves you when the money's flowing, right? He said there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he hired himself out. To a citizen of that country, you sent him into the field to feed the pigs. For a Jewish young man, that would be the absolute worst job you could ever have. He's going, out, going against everything he believes to go into that field. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but nobody gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, I am so glad we can come to our senses, Amen. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. So I'll, I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him. I am so glad that no, how, how, no matter how far we are away from God, he can still see us. Amen. He was filled with compassion, and he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, sinned against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father's not even listening. He's doing one of these, right? He's calling in the servants. And he said, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put the ring on his finger and the sandals on his feet. Bring in the fatted calf and let's kill it. Let's feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, but now he is alive again. Amen? He was lost. And now he is found, and they began to celebrate. I love this story because it is more than a story. It's actually something the Scripture calls a parable. And a parable are moments in the Bible where God will use extreme exaggeration to make a point. They're typically not true stories, but it's telling you something about the character of God. And in Luke chapter 15, there are three of them, the lost son, the lost coin, the lost sheep. It's like God is saying, I cannot exaggerate to you enough how much I love you and want you to come back home, amen? God wants us to come home. He wants us to never leave home. 
And if you're in this room this morning, and maybe you're far from God, if you're watching online, perhaps, you know, you're watching a recording of this, and you say, Pastor Doug, I need to come back home. Or maybe you're here today, and you're going to go through a bad season, and you're going to find yourself contemplating, or maybe even walking away from your faith. I want to share with you, and hopefully you'll keep these close by, from the story, four things to remember on your road back home. The first one is this. I want you to remember his sudden departure. Now this story freaks me out because it starts so fast. The young man approaches the father and he is filled with pride, with privilege, with disrespect, with immaturity. It's like he has no vision for the possibility of where he is. He is intoxicated with the allure of the unknown. And, And he goes to the father and he's essentially saying to his dad, I wish you were already dead. I want the inheritance I'll get when you die, but I want it right now. And what bothers me so much is there is no discussion. The father, without discussion, pulls out the proverbial checkbook, and most theologians believe it was at least a third, maybe up to half of everything he owned. He writes him a proverbial check for that amount. Can you imagine? Why does that bother me? Because I am a father. Are there any fathers in the house today? I got to tell you, universal father rule 101. If you go after my money, but you don't want my heart, if you want my resource, but you don't want relationship, you get nothing. I will give you bread and water. I'll keep you alive. But that is it, right? But this father does the opposite. He honors the relationship, even though the young man only wants the resource. You know, my... uh, my middle daughter, she might, or my youngest daughter, rather, she might have this figured out the most. She will come home from college, and she'll say to me, hey, Dad, have you been working out? And I'll be like, well, I sat up this morning, you know, that's one, you know, and then we'll go down to Starbucks and get one of those $40 coffees, and she's loving on me, right? Before I know it, she's got the credit cards, the car keys. What happened? She honored the relationship, and she got the resource. But this young man skips it over. You know what this tells me? This is no earthly father. But this is a type or a representation of our father in heaven. And get this, get this. Your father in heaven will never violate the greatest gift he's given to everybody on the planet. You know what it is? It is your free will. Sometimes I wish I could turn it off in people. But God won't do it. See, God doesn't want you to be a slave. He wants you to have a relationship with him. And he will not make you love him. If you want to walk away from him, he will not stop you. Listen, if you're ever going to have a relationship with our God, it starts out with a bowed knee, submitting to the one who can change your life forever. Amen? I think maybe the first time in my life I recognized that I had a free will. I don't know the weird memories you have from childhood. And I remember it was in the first grade. And our teacher, she had lined us all up, and she gave us all a piece of chalk and a partner. And we were supposed to go out on the parking lot, and your partner would lay down, and you would lay down, and you would trace each other out. And you could decorate that. It looked like somebody murdered the whole first grade class, you know. And 
I don't know, she got to me and handed me the chalk, and I was a good kid, but I remember this. I just handed it back to her, and I was like, I don't want to do it. She said, you don't want to do it? I said, no way. She said, well, if you don't get to do it, then Jimmy, your friend, he won't get to do it. And I was like, I don't care. I don't even like Jimmy. And she said, well, if you don't do it, you're not going to get to have fun. You got to march over, put your nose in the corner, and you got to stay there all day. I looked at her, I said, where's my corner? And I love that corner. That corner was incredible. Why? Because I chose it. It's just that free will. Now, if you're going to have a relationship with our God, listen, pride's got to be banned. It's got to come to a point where you bow your knee in front of the one who is worthy. Amen? Number two, second thing I want you to remember is I want you to remember his sad demise. The Bible says in verse 14 that he began to be in need. Other versions use words like hurt or lack or inferior or destitute, dissatisfied, poor, hungry. One version even says he went mad. The party started fast, but it ended hard. And what an amazing picture of contrast we have here. At home, he is rich, but here he's poor. At home, he's royalty, and now he's a nobody. At home, he's got hope, a purpose, a future, and now he's got none of that. Do you understand this young man was not lost from a positional standpoint? We know from reading the story that he knew his way home. No, this young man was lost from an identity standpoint. He walked away from all that he was. I'll have people come up to me often. Hey, Pastor Doug, I, I'm going to serve God one day, but I'm just trying to find myself. You ever heard that? I, I, I'm kind of a smart aleck. I'm like, I just found you. You're right here. And like, no, no, I'm just trying to find my purpose, what, what I'm called to do, and then, and then one day I'll serve God. And the problem with that logic is you will never find out who you're meant to be by running away from the one who created you with a purpose. Listen, the only way you're going to know what you are created to do or be is by running to the God who gave you a purpose. I am the first Christian in my family. My entire family came to Christ after me, and and my entire family is shy. I speak publicly for a living. Nobody in my family had ever flown on a plane. I've been all over the world. My entire family did not graduate from college, but I did. Guess what? God knew who I was, and if I had a thousand lifetimes, I would have never figured it out. The only way you can find out who you are is by running to the God who created you with a purpose. I don't know why, but we've always had little dogs, you know. I, I don't want a big dog, you know. If they turn on you, you might not be able. Little dog, you just slap them away, you know. And about three dogs ago, we had a dog named Charlie, and his dog was, this dog was not a Christian. Does anybody, anybody ever had a non-Christian dog? I, I am telling you, we tried. We tried. He hardened his heart. He, uh, he was an adulterer. He was a thief. Always running away, terrible dog. And he's, I, I, I hate to say it, he's in hell today. He is. He just, now my current dog, she's going to heaven, I can tell you right now. But Charlie was not a Christian. And one, Charlie would always run off because he had a bunch of affairs with all the other dogs in the neighborhood. And, and then he had this collar on, and it had his info, right? And they would just bring him back. And one day he ran off without his collar. And, my story would be much better if we didn't find him, but they brought him back anyway. But, but we, were, we were worried because he lost his connection 
to his master. You you understand? Like there's a difference between being lost from point A to point B and being lost from an identity standpoint. When the enemy's got you in that arena, man, he's got you. The best way to find out who you are is to run to your creator. Number three, we're almost done. I want you to remember his sincere determination. This guy is standing in a mess, but I am so happy that grace meets you right where you are. God gets into the pig pen with him, and the young man starts thinking, man, I didn't have it so bad at home. I mean, I ran away, and look at what is going on now. And and, and he starts saying, man, I got to go back home. It's almost like a salvation moment right there. I just got to go back home. And, And then he does what? He does what you and I do. He starts to doubt the love of the Father. He starts to say to himself, man, when I get home, my dad's going to be really mad. Because you know what? I wasted half of his money. I slept with prostitutes. I, I, I absolutely drugged the family name through the mud. And, 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 and so, you know, I'll, I'll just ask him. I'm not worthy to be a son. Maybe I can be like a servant. I like live in the bunkhouse. Like just to be on the edge of what I used to have will be better than what I have now. How many of you know that's not what happens, right? He doubts the love and intention of the Father. Why? Because we human beings struggle with grace. You know, the best definition of grace I've ever been able to come up with is that grace means this. Grace means there is nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there is nothing you can do to make God love you less. God's love is already maxed out. You cannot earn it. Amen? Why? Because his love's not even based on you. It's based on himself. Timothy tells us that if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. The love of God, the grace of God, we have such a hard time with grace. I told you I like this sermon because I get to tell stories about my dad. and This one's actually in my book. I, when I was growing up, I had stupid friends. Anybody, anybody, anybody have stupid friends? Now, don't point or anything. You know, I, I got brilliant friends right now, but back in the day, I had stupid friends. And I, I got saved when I was 16. I came home from Bible college at 19. And I got to tell you, I was not fully discipled because one of my stupid friends called me up and they, they asked me if I wanted to go hunting with them. Now, we didn't go hunting. We went shooting stuff. Anybody know there's a difference, right? And so I thought, well, I want to go. So I went in my bedroom. I was about to get my shotgun. It was an old single shot. And I thought to myself, my stupid friends will think I'm cool if I go get my dad's brand new semi-automatic 12-gauge that's not even out of the box. And I'll just run a few rounds through it, and then I'll put it back. He'll never know it, right? I wasn't fully discipled. And I got it. It was working like a charm. Pastor Vic, I was shooting like a champ, man. My my stupid friends thought I was so cool. And I don't know what happened, but somewhere in those fields, I got a little mud in the end of the barrel. And that that old gas-operated Remington, the way they used to make them, and it's dangerous now, but it was worse then. I, I I went to shoot something, and that barrel mushroomed back. It blew up. My stupid friends were laughing so hard, I I thought I was going to have to resuscitate them. And I was like, you don't understand, my life is over. I'm feeling a little lonely. Has anybody else ever been in one of these moments? I couldn't get it in my trunk, so I put it in the front seat of my car. And I'm driving home, and I'm like, I had a good run, 19 years, you know. I mean, it's all right. 
I'm pulling my driveway, my dad's truck there, and I, I got two choices. I can go inside, and he will end my existence, or I can be a homeless kid. I really contemplated homelessness, man. I, I was like, free soup? I don't, I don't know. You know, I just like, so I go inside, and I'm trying to hide it, and he's like, hey, what's that? And I put it in front of him, and he gets really quiet. Now, listen, that's not normal. I, I should not do this, but there's a lot of kids in the room today, and I'm going to give you a secret, but you cannot tell anyone, right? It's a parenting secret. If you do something really bad and your mom and dad are yelling at you, you're good because they're venting. They're getting it out. But if they get quiet, they're thinking about where to hide the body. That's, that's <laughs> You might want to run. <laughs> Kids quiet. It goes like 30 seconds and... It felt like three hours, and he said, my dad's got this deep voice. He's like, son, you've done a lot of stupid things in your life, and this is one of them. And I was like, yes, sir. And then he says, but. And he even gets a little teary-eyed. And I'm thinking, what is happening? And then, he, and then he said, well, but two years ago or so, you invited me to church. And I think he's going to call me a hypocrite, like you invited me, and look at what you did. And, and that's not what he says. He said, but. You invited me to church, and I wouldn't know the forgiveness of God if it wasn't for you. And he said this. He said, I think I owe you this one. That's what he said. And he said, you know what? You're forgiven. Now what do you want for supper? That's what he said. And he takes the gun away. Now, this is the greatest moment in the history of the universe right here. I mean, outside of the resurrection, this one is up there. You understand? And and all I got to say is like cheeseburgers, and I am off the hook. But we don't like grace. We don't understand it. So I look at my dad, and I'm like, come on, man. Tell me what's really the punishment. Because I'm thinking he's just wanting me to have a little hope so he can kill me emotionally and physically, you know. And, 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 and he's like, no, no, you're forgiven. And I said, come on, dad. I mean, I'll, I, I, I mean I, I'm so dumb, I start throwing out punishments. I, I'm like, you can beat me with a stick. You can drag me around behind your truck. You know what I mean? So I, I, he's like, no, 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 you're forgiven. And finally, I, I start crying. I said, Dad, I will work all summer. I'll buy you another gun. I'm a poor college. It's not going to happen. And he's like, he looks at me in exact words. He said, son, you cannot pay for this one. He said, no, you're forgiven. Now, what do you want for supper? One of the hardest things I've ever do is tell him what I wanted for supper that night. Why? Because we struggle with grace. Don't doubt the love and the intention of the Father. The last thing is that the, I want you to remember his secure destination because the Bible says that while he was a long way off, the Father saw him, means the Father was waiting and watching. And then his Father, he goes running. Noblemen didn't run, but this one does. He, he kisses him, he loves him, he hugs on him. Noblemen did not show public affection, but this one does. It's like passion has overridden proper, and he loves his son. And then he does three things. He puts the robe on his back, the festive robe of honor. You know what that is? The young man's not home yet, but he's about to walk home past all the servants. So, so he's got the junk and the mud and the poop of the pig pen on him. And what does the father do? He covers up all the humiliation so that he can walk home in honor. And then he puts the sandals on his feet. The sandals represent sonship because the servants didn't wear sandals. Listen, he wasn't going to the bunkhouse. He's going to the big house, baby. He's going back to his room. And then he does this thing. He puts the ring on his finger. I actually spent a week one time studying the ring, and the best scholars in the world believe that this was a signet ring. It would have the family crest on it. It would be the equivalent of the modern-day credit card. 
The young man, can you imagine him walking into a shop and the shop owner's like, there's the kid who wasted all the father's money. And he's like, ba-bam, here's the ring. He could dip it into ink. He could, in other words, he's not even home yet. And the father gives him access to the other half. Oh, Pastor Doug, when I come back to God, I'm going to have to earn my way back in, and nobody will like me. There won't be any acceptance, and maybe someday God will bless me. No, when you come back to the Father's house, baby, you get all the blessing, amen? You get all the resource. God takes you back, amen? Now, the part of the story we haven't talked about is the older brother. The Bible says he's got an older brother. Most scholars believe he represents the religious church. And the older brother says, hey, he wasted half of your money. He, he spent it on prostitutes. I mean, you gave him the ring. He's now expending my half. I mean, I mean, I mean, he humiliated the family. And the older brother says this. He said, you've never even given me a goat. That's what he says. So that I could celebrate with my friends. I almost called this sermon, get your own goat. Because the father says, hey, you want a goat? Go get one. Everything I have is yours. And the father who represents God literally begs the older brother to enter into the party. He's like, we got no choice. He was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost. He wasn't coming back. We've got no choice. We must. And and you get this picture of God begging the religious church to join in the party of salvation. Did you know it's possible for you as a church, for you as a Christian, to have perfect theology. You're right about everything. Because how I many of you know the older brother was right? He did waste the father's money. He did humiliate the family. It is possible to be 100% right and miss the heart of God by a million miles because you don't love people. We are at a place in our culture that I am so broken about because it's like we have exalted rightness above everything. And we as a church, we're in a weird position because we are right. We have the word of God. My friends, the ultimate value in scripture is not rightness. The ultimate value in scripture is the grace and the love of our Father. I'm just just getting to know you guys. I'm, I'm, I'm in a different place every week, but this place has made an impression on me. And I, I just wonder, what is this, Randolph County? Is that what it is? I just wonder if Randolph County could just, you want to be loved? Go to FLF, man. You want, to be, you, want, you want people to accept you where nobody else would? Go to that church. I'm telling you, two services won't be enough because the greatest attraction in the world is not an amusement park. It's the grace and the love of our God. Amen. I, I pastored a church, and I'm, I, I pastored for seven years, and I'm not really built for pastoring, I'm built for what I'm doing today, but God had me pastor a church for seven years. And during that time, I was trying to take this congregation of four or 500 and get them to really love lost people. And, and I was so happy because one Sunday, somebody invited this real rough looking guy. He was all tatted up from head to toe, had tattoos on his face, on his forehead, and had literally had a picture of Satan tattooed on his chest. I know because he showed me. And he had on this arm, trust no one. His name was Mark trust no one. Whenever you would meet Mark, he would say, trust no one. And that's what he did to me the first time I met him. But then he came to church and I preached about the love of God. He walked down in front of 500 people, gave his heart to Christ. 
Man, I was so excited. My church started loving on him. And I was just so excited because he wasn't like everybody else. He was broken, and I, I wanted that. And it was about six months in, Mark walked up to me, and he said, Pastor Doug, he said, do you take meetings? I said, I take meetings all the time. I said, he says, will you meet with me? I said, I'll meet with you right now. He got in my car, started driving over to this coffee shop, and I kind of looked over, and Mark was a lot bigger than me, super rough. He'd been in prison for like 10 years, and he'd been in a gang. And I was like, Mark is going to kill me. That's what I was thinking. I was like, I shouldn't have taken this meeting. And I, I, I went, I got to the coffee shop, and he wouldn't get out of the car. And I was like, that's it, he's going to kill me, you know. And, and, and he starts crying, but it's like violent crying. I mean, it's like tears and snot and everything, you know. And, and I'm like, what is going on? And finally, he looked at me, and he goes, he goes, you don't know how hard it is. I said, what? He said, they're judging me. I said, who's judging me? He said, it's your church. I said, oh, man, no way. I said, I love you. They love you. I can name 100 people that have told me they love you. I said, you are not judged. And I couldn't turn them around. I couldn't get them off the topic. I mean, for 10 minutes, they're judging me. No matter what I said, he wouldn't accept it. And I was losing this guy. Finally, I looked at him, and I, I don't know. It just came out of nowhere. It's like the Spirit of God told me to tell him the story of the prodigal son. And honestly, it wasn't coming from my head. It was coming from my spirit. So I just started telling it, just told the whole story, the father, the son, the older brother, everything. And I got through and Mark looked at me and he goes, wow. He goes, that is the greatest story. He said, did you make that up? I was like, no, it's in the Bible, man, Luke 15. I said, you want me to interpret it? He said, yeah. I said, you know who the younger son is? He said, who? I said, it's you. He lost it. I said, you know who the father is? He said, who? I said, it's God. He loves you. And he lost it. And I said, and I didn't know what I was going to say. Again, if my head was involved, I would have never said this. I said, do you know who the older brother is? And he said, who? And I looked down, kid you not, my fingers are pointing at me. And I, I said, apparently it's me. I said, and then it just, I said, the older brother, it's me. And I said, Mark, here's what happens. The longer you're in church, the more you start to believe that you're bad, but they're really bad. The more you start to say, like, I need God's grace, but they really need God's grace. How many of you know there's no scales like that in heaven? And I just said, the longer you're around this, the more the older brother starts to be a part of who you are. And I said, Mark, and it's the only guy, if you want to leave my church, leave, but this is the one time I beg somebody to stay. I said, I am begging you to stay because older brothers like me need to learn how to love younger sons like you. Amen? I want you to stand to your feet all throughout the house today. And we're going to have just a brief response time, and then I'll, I'll get the mic to pastor, and we'll wrap things up with baptism. But I, I am so excited about what God is going to do in this moment. And here's why, because... Well, first off, let's just say this. How many of you know we are family today? It's right in the name of your church, so we are family, amen? And let me tell you what I do. Whatever church I'm speaking at that weekend, Pastor Vic this weekend, in fact, I can already tell he's got like this spiritual father thing about him, and I could use another one. Uh, this weekend, you are like, you're my pastor. I'm under his authority. I'm under his, he is my pastor, at least for today. And, and so that means I'm a part of the family, Amen. And so since we're family, I, I'm not against this, but I just don't feel led to do it. When no heads bowed, no eye closed. 
How many of you just openly would just admit with me that the older brother, you say, Pastor Doug, I don't like it, but the spirit of the older brother, I I just need it completely out of me today. Anybody out there that would just raise their hand and say, you know what? I got a little bit of that and I need it gone. Amen. I believe God's going to honor that. Next one to be a little harder, but don't be afraid because we're all family. Amen. How many of you would just say, you know what? It's been a bad year. It's been a bad month. It's been a bad week. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, I, maybe I've never even really had a personal relationship with God. I need the love and the grace of the Father today. I need to know that if I died today, I would go to heaven. I need the forgiveness of God. Come on, without hesitation, just lift your hand as high as you can. I need a fresh dose of the love of God. You guys watching online, man, if you need to give your heart to Christ, give us some emojis, some hearts or something. Let us know that you're there. Come on, let's pray this prayer. Let's pray it out loud. Dear Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. You rose from the dead. You did that for me. So today I accept the perfect love of the Father. Save me. Forgive me. Show me who I am. Give me a purpose in Jesus' name. Now, come on, lift your hands and receive this. Father, I pray over this great church, and I pray that from this day forward and forever, the spirit of the older brother would be banished, that this place would be known as the place to get loved. This place would be known as the place that says, hey, we've got good theology, but we're not the Holy Spirit. We will love you. We'll accept you where you are, and we'll let God do the work. Father, we pray that this place would be known for the love of Jesus in Jesus' name. Come on, give God a hand clap. Isn't he good? Amen. Just, I I need to let pastor come, but let me just mention very quickly, this is the only service I'll be with you this time. And uh, if you have not had a chance to get a copy of my book, I would love to get it to you. I worked on this for a year. I would love to spend 100 hours with each of you, but that's physically impossible. But I could do it through my book. This is a book on the heart of God about restoration. It's called Divine Intentions, the person you're, you're supposed to be, the life God meant you to have. And I, I believe that it, it would change your life. If you're dealing with self-worth issues, if you're dealing with uh, just figuring out your destiny kind of issues, I want to get this into your life. I'd be glad to give you a copy here's my only problem we sold out last service so if you want a copy of the book all you have to do is prepay and I will send a bunch of copies to the church it'll be your next Sunday or the Sunday after and you can pick it up if you don't want to wait for that it is on Amazon and other places and I'd love for you to be able to get it there's also different teaching series back there if you like my stories if you like my teaching I told the last service my mom is the president of my fan club she probably won't let you join but you could take some of my teaching home. And this one called The Deeper Life is about four hours of teaching on faith. Uh, This one called The Free Life is a series I do on addiction. And there's a bunch of other ones back there. Love you guys. Thanks for letting me be here today. God bless you. Well, hey, we're going to pray over Pastor Doug. And before he leaves, I'm going to ask the people that are being baptized, the four of y'all that are going to be baptized, if you can come on up to the right, to my right, your left. And we'll get ready. Father God, we just thank you. Lord, we thank you for friendship and we thank you for a relationship. We're excited. What were your just going to blossom out of that, Father?
Lord, we thank you for the lives that were touched today. And Father, that show them their next steps, Father. We speak your blessing over them blessing over Pastor Doug, his international, his national uh, ministries, Father, that you'll bless them, you'll open up doors back in the mission field internationally, Father. Show us how we can connect. We ask for your God ideas of how we can connect. Lord, we pray for safe journey as he travels back and flies back today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hey, are y'all ready? All right. Um, where's, come on there, Robin. 